Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Tuesday, May the 15th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Ian Wharton drops in to give us his recap on the Miami Dolphins 2018 offseason, his favorite move, least favorite move, how the new pieces will fit, and we'll wrap it up with his ultimate 2018 record prediction. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, gets the podcast out to more Dolphins, helps us continue to grow and continue to do the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one rated blog in the Lockdown Network, as well as the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We have no personal news to get to today, so let's go ahead and kick it off with some football. That's another Miami Dolphins. And if you are a longtime listener of the podcast, you know my guest by now. He writes for Bleacher Report. He is the author of the Cornerbook Handbook presented by Lifetime Fitness. You can find him on Twitter at NFL Film Study, Ian Wharton. Ian, welcome back into the show, man. What's going on, Travis? Not too much, dude. Just uh, getting this thing ramped up here. We're getting some exciting stuff at Locked On and, and Locked On Dolphins in, in particular. So I'm really excited for this season and the off season and kind of marinating all this new information we have. So I wanted to bring you on to give the fans a different perspective because they hear me every single day and you're well regarded in the Dolphins community. So I thought I'd bring you on and get your opinion on a few things. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. And like I mentioned, we've reached that period where we just kind of drone on about the same topics over and over, and it can get a little bit stale. So I was going to ask you, how are you enjoying the dead period so far, and do you have any like vacations or big plans coming up for the summer? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it. Um, I love college football, and like so I'm, I'm pretty excited for that to start back up, uh, just because I, I just like the entertainment factor of it, let alone like the draft part of it and the rest of it, but uh, yeah, so I kind of spent my dead time charting, you know, quarterbacks for the 2019 draft and and uh, beyond that, and then also hopefully I can get through enough quickly, and so I can go back and do some historical quarterbacks. Like I know I've got like Dan Marino on tap, like college games from him, um, and some other greats that you know Tom Brady, guys like that. So I really want to add them to my database of of data. Um, but in general, though, I'm I'm just enjoying it. I mean, it's I'm not on Twitter too much over the summer. Like as soon as the draft is over, I basically I'm not on Twitter too much. I'm trying to enjoy the basketball season, but my Cleveland Cavaliers are making that stressful, as they always <laughs> tend to. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I got a couple of trips planned this summer. But um, but yeah, man, nothing nothing really too great. But yeah, man, just trying to soak it up while I can and, and refresh. It's kind of nice how the football season coincides, at least in its off season, with the nicest part of the year in terms of weather. And my fiance is a teacher too, so it just really works out well for us to get all of our uh, vacations, everything this time of year. But let's go ahead and start talking some Dolphins football here and start by plugging in some of the new pieces the Dolphins have acquired. And if you guys follow me, which I'm sure you all do, Ian as well, I've been writing up all these free agent pieces, rookie pieces, brand new guys to Miami. And since you're a full-blown defensive back guru these days, Ian, and I think we 
can officially say that given the amount of hours you've put into the cornerback handbook. Let's talk about the Dolphins' first-round draft pick, Minka Fitzpatrick. So overall thoughts on Minka. Do you like him as a corner or safety better? And what is his fit in Matt Burke's defense? So I've always kind of taken the, the standpoint uh, with these types of players who have shown they can play the corner position and they've got the athleticism to do it. I would tend to, unless if they're like a roaming free safety, amazing ball hawk, uh, I would try to start him at corner, but I don't think in Miami's current personnel that that's the right move. I think for in a general term, I think it would be attractive because most teams need a boundary corner, but Miami's kind of good with where they're at, with their two young guys, with Tankersley and Howard. Um, I don't think either has necessarily proven themselves to be entrenched with them for you know the next five to ten years yet, but you got to give them the opportunity to, and I think that they've shown you enough to definitely enter this year as, as those two as the unquestioned starters, and so I think that kind of puts Fitzpatrick into where he is most recently played and I think is extremely comfortable and as kind of as a, an overhang defender, as like a safety, as kind of like a, a lurking linebacker and a guy who can also drop back and play. He can play single high. He's not necessarily going to be your Earl Thomas necessarily. Maybe he can prove to be that guy in time, but he wasn't that guy in college. Not that he wasn't proficient deep, but he wasn't necessarily a guy forcing turnovers. He was just altering passing angles and kind of forcing the quarterback to look other directions. So he's he's affecting the play. It's just in a different way and, and not quite as impactful in terms of turnovers. But that doesn't mean he's he's not just some guy playing back there. And I think that's the big difference is like there's three levels of that type of safety. There's guys who are just back there to be back there, and they're just a warm body back there. Then there's a guy who's like Minka, who's very comfortable. He can play single high, frees up Rashad Jones. He frees up even TJ McDonald if you want to get his him snaps as like a, a pseudo-nickel linebacker, uh, or if you want to do the opposite with Jones. And then there's a guy who's who's like you know Earl Thomas. Like There's like three dudes in the league who can do that, three or five dudes who can do that in the league consistently. Maybe he can get there over time with experience, uh, but very rarely do guys enter the league from that standpoint right away. So I think he's a great fit. I think you look at him as a safety, and you're pretty comfortable with him there. I mean, unless if he proves you otherwise, I, I don't think his value is really um, negatively impact, impacted by that. Like, if he can play corner, great. I just don't think Miami necessarily needs that right away. And so that's that's a unique position that Miami's kind of built up for themselves. Yeah, they really have. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on just Xavier Howard and Cordray Tankersley as a pair because you look at both these guys, and Tankersley had such limited time in terms of his NFL career. And then for Xavier Howard, typically guys turn it on about year three or four. And if you take into account his lack of playing time because of the injuries he had in 2016 and just kind of getting acclimated to the game, he came on strong at the end of last year. Now, if you take uh, Tony Lippett and add him to that group there because he was injured all year as well. How do you feel about those three corners on the perimeter just in terms of are, are Howard and Tankersley going to become like mainstays or what do you think their future holds? I I would lean towards them being long-term starters. Um, it, it's it's really hard because I, I, I like the upside that Howard showed, um, especially towards like the middle second half of the season. Um, so I think that it's in him. I don't know if he's going to be that guy, you know, as consistently as, as maybe the hope is. And, and maybe he just does become that. It's just, it's so hard to predict it. Um, usually growth is not super linear like that. Um, and so it's, it wouldn't be surprising if he kind of repeats this type of season and then everyone kind of takes a step back on him. But the reality is that maybe the jump is the next year. And so that's okay. If that's the case, um, you just don't really know a hundred percent that it's going to be that next year that, that you really see that jump. So 
Um, my guess, I think Tankersley, I feel a little bit more comfortable with just because I think the athleticism shows, and I think that he moves really, really well. And a lot of what I look at is, is how guys move and how they control their bodies. And so I think that he does a great job of that. And with that in mind, um, I, I would, if I were to bet on it, I would say probably, yeah, like these are going to be your starters for the next five years. Um, and that would be great. I mean, especially considering they didn't pay a first round pick on either of them. Uh, and then I lip it guys like the depth pieces like Lippitt, I don't know what to think about that. I mean, I, he was kind of a nice developing piece before the injury, but the injury that he had was so devastating for most guys that like, if he can come back and be a contributor at all, you're kind of chalking that up as a win. Um, and beyond that, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, Tory McTiver, not really sure what he is. Uh, Bobby McCain, we've talked about him before. I think he's really a stud. I think he's a guy that, that you're definitely kind of building around him as like that third nickel corner. I kind of would like to see them extend him early in this preseason, um, past training camp. If you can get a deal done with him now, take advantage because his price probably isn't going to be too, too terrible. Uh, and then Cornell Armstrong, I know they drafted him. He's you know kind of a physical project, kind of hoping he's going to be like a special teamer this year, maybe develop, maybe take Tony Lippett's spot as a uh, as a potential developmental guy if Lippett's not 100%. So I think the depth is a little bit of a concern, but that's going to be normal. And you, you really want to be able to uh, develop guys from within. And, and I know we kind of talked about earlier, it'd be nice if they could add kind of a, a veteran like they did with Alteron Burner, if, even if they brought him back in the fold. If, if they get to training camp and – you know, if the lip is not 100%, then I think that would make a lot of sense for them. Just because you got to have a body, especially with Tankersley not being 100% uh, last year and, and playing in all the games. Concussions issues are, are issues in themselves. So uh, it's, a, it's a good unit. I think it's an up-and-coming unit. I don't know that they have the superstar that they need. Um, that's to be determined. And maybe one of these guys will break out and be that guy. I do think that you should give them the chance, though. And that's why I was kind of kind of happy that they didn't really address the position too much in the draft even though it was a, it had some good corners in the draft it's i think it's easy to overreact too much especially to the young corners um and and you can you do have a little bit of flexibility there if armstrong or Lippitt or someone like that can kind of show a little bit of development and, and maybe be a rotational guy this year and i've seen the opinion on twitter that some people think that you know tony Lippitt is actually in competition with cordray tankersley just going off of your corner book handbook you obviously had bobby mccain rated very highly in the nickel like you mentioned i'm all all in on getting him extended like you said and then cordray tankersley was number 17 i want to say it was in cumulative wins yeah tankersley ended up grading out extremely well and and i don't know that you know that's maybe fair to say he was a top 20 corner last year but i think that it does probably speak to uh just the type of talent that he showed even as a raw rookie. And it, I think it's fair to say that like he was, a, he was an athlete out there, although he was advanced with his technique. And I think that he's very comfortable out there. He's still, you can tell like he's green. Like there's a reason why he went in the third round, but he was still effective with that in mind. And I think the numbers kind of bear that out. And I think the production allowed kind of bear that too. Like at that overall, like the, really the two big mistakes he made was one was on a cover four post pattern. Uh, where him and Rashad Jones got things mixed up early in the season. Uh, they, he didn't know that he was supposed to take the, the post route. And then late in the season, I think it was Robbie Anderson that beat him uh, on a deep route as well. And so there's a lot there to like. I think that mentally that game is it's just going to continue to get better and slower for him, kind of as we've seen even with Howard. Howard's improved in that manner too. Uh, so for him, it's, I think but Howard's a little bit more uh, physically limited, whereas Tankersley, I don't, I don't think he has any limitations on the field. I think he's just a guy who he can really, he can achieve whatever his mind is going to let him achieve, and that's that's something that's extremely, and that that's so uncommon. Like it's uncommon to see that 
Um, coming from a big school, uh, that was just kind of the depth of that corner class last year. And talking about the struggles of the communication the Dolphins had last year, that seemed to be the case for a lot of guys, no matter who it was coming into the onto the field and into the defense. But we're going to go ahead and flip it over to the offense. On the other side here, the Locked On Dolphins podcast, I'm joined by Ian Wharton. He is at NFL Film Study on Twitter. You can follow me at Wingfield NFL and the show at Locked On Fins. And flipping it over to the offensive side of the football now with my guest, Ian Wharton. Ian, people are excited about Mike Gusecki, and rightfully so. He's a big, tall leaper, rebounder type of tight end that can go and make catches down in the red zone. And I tend to think that he might come in and play something like an absurd 85% plus of the offensive snaps as a rookie. So would you agree with that? And is that too much to ask of a second round rookie? And do you think that he can be productive, not just for a rookie, but by an NFL's tight end standards? I think he can be, and I think you're right. I think this is going to be a guy that he enters in right away. He's going to play a lot of snaps. I don't, I don't foresee anyone really challenging him too much for snaps. I mean, AJ Derby's interesting. Marquise Gray is is a nice, like probably like third tight end, and maybe like a second tight end, especially as like a receiver. You can have both of those guys out on the field at the same time. You can have Mike Gusecki. You can have him in the slot. You can have him even outside at, at receiver, um, depending on the situation. So it's, it's kind of nice with him. And I know Miami kind of talked about playing more 13 personnel. I'm, I'm going to wait and see on that. Like, that seems a little extreme to me. Um, I know Durham Smythe is another guy who's who's kind of, he's going to earn some snaps and he's going to be in there. And I just, I'm pretty hesitant on, on, you know, portraying a team to play three tight ends on the field at, yeah. <laughs> at the same time. Even if Gusecki's more of like a receiver, it's just, that would be really bizarre to see. And I don't, I don't really see the function of that too much unless if you're on like the goal line. Uh, in those situations, I'm sure that everything's off the t- on the table and, and it can get crazy. But Kaseki, he's super talented. I, I do think that he's a guy that's going to make an impact right away. I think he's going to be kind of like that guy within the in the 20s and in the red zone. Uh, you're going to see he's going to have a lot of mismatches just athletically, especially when he's smashed up against linebackers. Uh, so I think you're going to see him. And, and it's not like the AFC uh, East has a ton of super athletic linebackers. I mean, you look at Buffalo, it's like Matt Milano. Uh, look at the Jets, it'd be Darren Lee. Uh, the, the Patriots are totally rebuilding their li- their linebacker core, and they really don't have a very athletic guy. Like they don't have a proven guy who's going to be able to cover. So I think that Miami's going to have to test that every single week. They're going to have to see if they can create those mismatches, create those one on one opportunities. Uh, the lack of superstar linebackers and coverage in the division, I think, is very helpful for them, and they should have an advantage in most of those games. Uh, now the safety play in the division is really good, though, so it's going to be interesting to see. They're going to have to kind of produce those matchups where he's not necessarily on, on a safety too often. And obviously he has the size and he has the leaping ability to overcome those mismatches, but uh, I don't know that he's got the, the quickness and the speed to kind of create any separation there. And uh, But I'm really excited to see it. I'm really excited to see Ryan Tannehill's reaction to having this type of weapon. Uh, obviously the last time he had this type of guy in Charles Clay, and, I, and I'm not talking about like 2016 Charles Clay, we're looking at like yeah. like two year, like the two years prior to that, like a guy who's really explosive down the seams, really reliable down the seams before the knee injury. Uh, I'm excited to see him with a real tight end, and and I think Gusecki's going to be, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be a, a surprise just in terms of the expectation for the position is generally pretty low as a rookie and even in their first couple of years, but we might end up seeing him being maybe like a, a towards like the bottom 10 of the top tight end, 10 tight ends uh, as, as far as production this year, uh, which would be super impressive. I mean, if you get that type of return out of a guy right away, that's that's a home run pick. 
And I, I feel like you, know, you go back to 2013 season when you talked about Charles Clay, and that was when the Dolphins first got Mike Wallace, and they couldn't get connected on that deep ball. But you look at the throws of Charles Clay or even Brian Hartline, and they were always right on the money. So I'm, I'm with you there. It's more about catch radius and ability to haul in contested balls. And, and you did a perfect job of transitioning right into the Ryan Tannehill aspect of the podcast because, you know, we got to get to it. So before we get into your checklist or your report card for the offseason, let's circle back to the quarterback and talk about the lovely Ryan Tannehill debate going forward. Do you think Miami messed up by not addressing the position outside of a couple of scrubs and Bryce Petty and Brock Osweiler? Would you have done it differently yourself? And what are your expectations for Ryan Tannehill coming off of a 600-something day layoff since the last time he played a football game? So I wouldn't have really looked at it much differently. I mean, I kind of look at how the Cardinals moved up for Josh Rosen and how little they paid. I'm a little bit jealous of that. Like, I I would look at that and be like, that was a a missed opportunity, I think, to get your for-sure quarterback of the future at a very cheap price. I mean, that's not going to generally happen again. Uh, He went for a first-rounder, a third-rounder, and a fifth-rounder. That's that's nothing. Uh, But I will also say, I am personally not afraid of entering the season, and if a quarterback gets hurt, your season's just over. Like, it is what it is. I, I don't think there's many capable backups. I, I don't think a rookie would come in and it'd be great. I don't really – I never felt strongly about any of the mid-round backups. Maybe Mason Rudolph in the third is a guy who you could have looked at and said, like, that was a, a decent value, even as a guy personally who's a little bit skeptical of Rudolph. That's not a bad value in the third round. Like, that's the type of range that you want to take a guy like that. Um, but – me personally, I'd rather not waste the mid-round pick on a quarterback like that. Like, if I don't think he's going to be a stud starter, I don't know that I have a huge value for him, unless if you think he's going to be a stud backup. I don't know that there was really that type of guy in this draft that, that I just had to have. You know, like, Logan Woodside wasn't a guy that I just had to have. Uh, Kyle Loletta is not a guy I just felt like I had to have. Um, so I'm fine with Miami kind of kicking the can on it a little bit. They are trying to win this year. They had a really good chance to get Minka Fitzpatrick. Um the day two guys you know, just just weren't attractive to me. If, if you were going to pass up uh, Lamar Jackson, that's fine. I, I get it. I think that he would have been a really good fit. But the, if the plan is also for Ryan Tannehill to be in place for two years, there's also an attractive situation where to say, you know, if Tannehill comes back and he's just not good, uh, we'll just address the position later and get more value out of those rookie contracts because having a guy sit for two years – is not ideal either because you're wasting the prime years to kind of build around him in free agency um, and take advantage. Like teams have kind of shown us the path that that's you know that's the most effective way to do it. So um, I think Tannehill will be pretty good though. I, he'll probably have a slow start. I think it's going to really mirror his uh, his start under Adam Gase two years ago. Uh, the last time he played, I think it's going to be an adjustment period. It's a lot of new personnel. It's compl- it's you know half the line is new uh, for him, let alone the offense. The receivers are almost completely new. Um, outside of, of Stills and, and uh, uh, um, Devontae Parker. so and, and even Parker is probably a different player than what he last uh, played with. So I, I, I'm excited to see it. I think it's going to take some time. It'll probably take you know, the first month of the season to get ironed out a little bit. you got Dowell Logans in there as well. So it's a lot of new faces. That's going to cause an adjustment. The running backs are, are totally new except for Kenyon Drake. So I would expect some hiccups. I would expect an adjustment period. I think it's going to take the coaching staff a little bit of time to get used to Albert Wilson and, and Danny Amendola, when to use Kalen Ballage, guys like that, like especially the young guys. It's going to take them some time to work into the lineup. Uh, but overall, it should be an effective unit. I think it's going to be a much improved unit, uh, especially not only just from the, the standpoint of Jay Cutler to Ryan Tannehill. That's not a comparison. Uh, I think Ryan Tannehill is just drastically better. But I also think personnel-wise, 
I think it's a much better offense. I, I just think it's more well-rounded offense. I think it's going to be more consistent offense. Uh, they kind of got into that rhythm last year where it was boom or bust plays, and part of that was the quarterback, but part of that was also the surrounding pieces and relying on those surrounding pieces. And, and I think that it'll be much more balanced in terms of trying to mix in, moving the chains, having a little bit more rhythm in the offense. And Tannehill is obviously going to be the big orchestrator on all of that, but um, the surrounding pieces are going to step up, I think, a little bit better than what we've seen in a long time for this team. I just really hope they're not stubborn like they were in 2016 when they just kept on beating their head into the wall with that hurry-up offense, the tempo offense, the shotgun, 11-base personnel. Because I'm going back watching the old 2016 games, Ian, and you see them struggle with this, you know, the same offense that I described to you, and then they start to adjust at the end of games and go 12 personnel and go play-action-based. I just charted the Cleveland game from 2016, week three, and Tannehill, if you take away two throwaways where he just threw the ball out of bounds, on play-action, he was 10 for 11 with 160 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. So it's like you find these things that work, just do them. Just stick with that until everyone's up to speed. So that's my biggest beef. You also talked about not taking a quarterback, and my my kind of approach to that has been they had a limited amount of resources going into this offseason. We all knew that they were up against the cap and strapped in that way, and you kind of were going to have to sacrifice somewhere on the roster if you were going to take the quarterback. You mentioned a mid-round draft pick. That means no Jerome Baker, who, in my opinion, is going to play 30 40%, maybe even more than that this year at linebacker, or you would have had to sacrifice Durham Smythe, for instance, and stick with A.J. Derby as your number two tight end. Whatever it was, you were going to have to sacrifice somewhere. So I'm in with that. I'm with you. I think there's not even 32 good starting quarterbacks in the league, let alone enough to have a good backup on every team. So we'll see what happens. Ian, we got one more round for you here. A bit of a speed round here on the other side of the podcast. Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Winkfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. He is at NFL Film Study on Twitter. All right, we've got one more segment here with Ian Wharton. He is at NFL Film Study on Twitter, writes for Bleach Reports, NFL 1000. And I want to do a little bit of a speed round, but I also want you to feel free to kind of talk it out here. But I've got a list of questions for you. Are you ready to get going into that? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's do it. So first one I have for you here is your favorite move of the offseason. So I would say clearing out the, the some of the dead weight on the cap. I, I think long-term, it makes a lot of sense, especially getting rid of like Mike Pouncey, kind of clearing up the locker room. Um, for the most part, I love like 99% of the moves related to the cap. That's a very good answer, and it's, it definitely bodes well for uh, the, the management and the organizational structure. And we'll get to that here in a minute, but what is your least favorite move of the offseason? Definitely releasing Indomitian Sioux. So although that achieved what I just talked about, <laughs> and it's a lot more of a, a healthier ecosystem, I think, uh, moving forward for, the, for the, everyone to take advantage of the assets that they have, that was one move where I thought that it was going to be more prudent to keep him at least one more year as opposed to actually releasing him. That's, that's going to be a tough one to overcome. I think the big bummer about that was something you and I talked about in a podcast a couple months ago with the wasted money they've spent on guys like Nate Allen, for instance, or Kiko Alonso or Andre Branch. If you don't have those contracts in the books, you can probably keep Adama Sue on this roster that we both like so much. So that definitely yep. hurts a lot. But what's your, what's your best little-known move? The move that no one has talked about or whatever it is, what's the best move that no one talks about so it's a depth move um i was actually watching uh buffalo versus ohio yesterday uh i was watching for tyree jackson a quarterback uh just a gigantic dude but playing for ohio was seventh round pick quentin polling and i really hadn't watched much of polling uh one because it's ohio and two <laughs> I, I, I mean <laughs> you know the, the numbers are really impressive he had a good combine but like he had a pretty good game like he was a pretty impressive player he really moves to the ball well 
Uh, I think he can be a guy that you try to develop at middle linebacker for the future, and you definitely can play on the weak side because he's a good athlete. I think his versatility, I think his ability to play the run in the box is is possibly going to allow him to really uh, play better than what his draft status would would kind of indicate. He would outperform that that seventh round pick. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be a starter one day. I'm not going to go that far, uh, but I would definitely say he should be able to challenge a guy like Stephon Anthony's spot uh, as far as like if he's going to be like a rotation guy. Uh, I I definitely don't see a reason why. I think he's got more football instinct than a guy like Anthony does. So uh, I think Poland's going to be a guy who's we may be looking back a year from now and saying, at the very least, he's a, he's a great special teamer. He's a good depth piece, and this team really needed that. So you're telling me you don't watch that Tuesday night Maction and get your uh, gamble on? Yeah, I really like Maction. It just <laughs> it's at that time of the season, it's so hard for me to actually focus on it because um, usually that's like right after Monday night, the day after Monday night football, and the All Twenty Two is yep. coming out <laughs> either Tuesday night or Wednesday, and so I'm I'm fully invested in NFL at that point. But I do love Maction, and I got a big. A big heart for that. Dude, it's just, it's just so unique in the way it is. And I, I don't know how many videos I have on my phone of punters whiffing footballs. Um, a team a team that I bet on. It's always the team that I bet on. They literally whiff the punt. So I've, I have probably three of those on my phone from last year. But let's move on back to the topic at hand here. Which of these newcomers will have the biggest impact in 2018? So I will say, uh, I don't think it's going to be statistically. I, I think... I really think that uh, that Danny Amendola is going to be a guy who who's going to make an impact in that locker room uh, more so than anything else, and I, I think that's it's going to be needed. It's not like they don't have professionals, but Kenny Stills is a great player on the field. I don't know that he's a guy in the locker room that is is reliable as far as going to. I'm not saying he's not a good locker room guy, but he's still a young professional. He's still a guy kind of figuring it out himself. He just kind of came into his own as far as a talent as as talented as he's always been. He's kind of just hitting his stride right now. Devontae Parker, we know he's you know kind of been a roller coaster ride. Last year, Jarvis Landry was kind of like that go-to guy, but he's also kind of in that same boat as Kenny Stills. He's still kind of becoming what he's going to become, and and you know I think that as a leader, he's he's very reliant on emotions, and that's great. But I think there's also room for guys who are veteran savvy and guys who can teach you as far as being a winner and, and, and how to address things weekly and when you struggle and how to kind of react from a bad play and bad game. Uh, Frank Gore is going to, I think, I think going to be in that same boat. Uh, but I think Amendola is going to be a bigger actual help on the field. As far, I'm not saying Gore is going to be bad or anything. I just, I don't think that, I don't know that Gore is going to be a huge part of the game plan as the season goes on. I think he's going to be a guy that if Drake can be kind of what they want him to be, he's going to kind of just be a, a, a rotational player. Whereas Amendola, I think we're going to see a lot of him. You always answer my follow-up questions before I can get to them. Cause I was going to ask you if Frank Gore's in that same <laughs> vein. And I've been, I'm a huge Kalen Ballage fan. So I think that as the season goes on, like you said, Gore might get phased out because I see a lot of Damian Williams and Kalen Ballage as far as a pass receiver. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's kind of like he's kind of like Drake and, and Damian Williams mixed into one. Uh, I, that means he's not necessarily a great runner right now. But Drake was the same way when he came out. He, Drake was a little bit more advanced. Uh, but, but I mean, Ballage also was coming from a situation where uh, that offensive line was terrible, and I mean, uh, Arizona State in general was terrible. Uh, it's, it's not a great situation for a running back. And so, if if he can work and kind of improve the way that Drake has, and especially if Gore can teach him anything at all about staying patient and kind of hitting holes and using a size a little bit more effectively, then you're really looking at a guy who's going to have to be on the field because you're just not going to be able to keep him off the field. And this is kind of like a retirement tour, I think, yeah. for Frank Gore at this point. And I, I think that's going to be his expectation. He'll play. 
He'll play especially in the first month or two. They're going to need him. But as the season goes on, I think as the team kind of evolves, they're going to kind of be searching, I think, for more explosiveness as the season goes on. It's cool to see him get a chance back in Miami to do the whole tour, like you mentioned. So I guess it's cool for sentimental value for the for the Hurricanes fans as well as Dolphins fans down there. But let's go ahead and you, I guess you can just answer this with one word. Cause I, I know the answer to it. Or you can maybe talk about what type of impact his departure will have. Which move leaves the biggest negative impact? And I, I'm, I'm sure I already know who it is. Yeah, it's Sue. I mean, I, I tried to come up with someone different for this. It just it, there's no way to, to replace him. Even if they would have drafted Vita Via and if they would have taken Maurice Hurst later in day three, it, it still wouldn't have been enough. It's just it's you can't lose that type of talent and realistically replace it in one offseason. Um, even unless if now next offseason is different. <laughs> there's there's going to be several defensive tackles who are on that same type of playing field um, in the draft, and, and maybe Miami will have a chance. You know, obviously Dolphins fans are hoping not. That's you don't actually want a chance like Ed Oliver in the draft. But um, the, really, what you could do is 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 rotate the young guys, try to take advantage of guys like William Hayes who can play three technique, who can rush the passer from the inside. Obviously, the trade for Akeem Spence is a potential helpful move. Um, Spence isn't a guy that you're really going to count on. I think is like a, a stud. Uh, he's just kind of a, a body that you're going to keep fresh and, and use in, in the best role that you possibly can. And that, these guys all kind of fit that description. None of them are stars. And um, that's going to make it tougher, I think, on the outside pass rushers. But that's why you also invested so much into those outside pass rushers. And you kind of just have to say, you know, you guys have to get the job done. You know, Robert Quinn, you have to get the job done. Andre Branch, when you do play, the little bit that you do play is going to have to be really good. Charles Harris, we need to step in development from you. Uh, camera wake we just need you to continue to be a god so uh <laughs> you know it's just it is what it is yeah. every roster has shortcomings um i i get the move long term from sue it's going to end up being a good move long term uh even if they don't ever replace that type of talent it's just cap wise you just can't you can't deal with that too long so um yeah i i just think it's it's an impossible situation for the team to look good at it's going to be rough i think especially as sue is playing on a high profile team so i i would tell people you know prepare for that because uh, he's going to get a lot of exposure and he's going to play really well on a, on a high national uh, profile stage so uh, but just be you know kind of willing to take the lumps with the young guys as they deal with what sue dealt with with a lot of double teams and a lot of attention from defenders and and hopefully in that situation if you know someone can take a step forward and, and continue to, to kind of cement their own statuses as a, a full-time starter for Miami. And you mentioned that loaded draft class next year. It lines up well in terms of what Jordan Phillips could be because you could be looking at his last year as a Dolphin if he doesn't play at, a, I guess, a better pace than he has in his career earlier on. Obviously, you talked about Ed Oliver, Rashawn Gary, and Christian Wilkinson from Clemson. So that's a loaded class like you mentioned. But if things don't go right this year, we might see some moves in the offseason. So that brings me to my next question. And who do you think is the most on the hot seat within the organization this year? It could be the quarterback, could be the general manager. Who is the most needing of a winning season this year? I think the popular answer here is going to be Mike Tannenbaum. Um, I'll go a different direction just because I think everyone's going to say Tannenbaum. Uh, if they have another losing season, there's going to have to be a change. Uh, like someone in the front office is going to have to be moved, uh, whether it's Chris Greer or you know someone's going to be the scapegoat. It won't be Adam Gase. Uh, it will be probably. I would imagine it's going to be Mike Tannenbaum, especially as they they got rid of so many of those bad contracts, some of which he inherited, some of which he he was responsible for. Uh, I think on the field, the hottest. I mean, quarterback's always going to be that position, but I would especially think it's going to be quarterback this year. I think that. If, if Ryan Tannehill comes back, and it's not necessarily if he's not great, if he's not healthy, if he can't 
be the durable guy that he's been to this point in his career. Um, if, if he's not good or if the team falls apart and they have a top five pick, they really have to then address the position. Like it, it, it re, Adam Gase is going to have to kind of refresh his, his leash and kind of extend his leash back to what it would normally be on like a new job is basically saying like a new breath of life and he's just going to need it period. So you could see if the teams for whatever reason uh, fails, you would see Mike Tannenbaum leave. And I think that you would address the quarterback position and not necessarily start the rookie right over uh, Ryan Tannehill right away, but you would at least have to say, you know, this is our succession plan. And then finally for you, Ian, are we going back to the postseason? Are we picking top five, somewhere in between? What's your 2018 season record prediction for the Miami Dolphins? Vegas hates Miami. Uh, I think they have the over-under at like five and a half. Yeah. Um, I saw a prediction today. Someone at Miami picking in the top three. I think that's crazy. I, I really do. Like, I don't. I haven't been that high. I've definitely been higher on, on the Dolphins than like the public. I think the line last couple of years has been like seven and a half, eight. Yeah. I've been kind of around that. I think this year they can get to nine. I think the the, the schedule is fairly favorable uh, for them to do it. I think the division is terrible outside of uh, outside of New England. I mean the Jets. Yeah, maybe the Jets will be. The Jets are always gonna be tough, right? But just from a, from a sense of outside of when the Dolphins play the Jets, I don't think they're going to be you know more than a five or six game winner. I think the Bills took a massive step back. And I think Miami could kind of creep into where Buffalo was last year, which was that nine-win team, solid play. They kind of just kind of skirt through the season. They don't really make a lot of huge waves. They just kind of consistently win, almost like they did a couple years ago when they made the playoffs. They, you know, they kind of sneak up on people. Uh, I definitely think they'll be in that eight to nine win range. And I know that average isn't great, but like this isn't a bad roster. Like it's yeah, they lack the stars now, and that's going. I think that's what's kind of affecting people. But they're not worst three roster in the NFL like this this roster is really not bad it's got a lot of young talent for once and that's kind of refreshing to say about it um so I mean if if the line stays healthy and I think a lot of this has to do with the offensive line and then thus that'll affect Tannehill as well but I mean assuming a Tannehill can get back to you know 90 to 100 percent of what he was and that the line can stay healthy for even 14 games I think you're really looking at a team that's going to push for that final wild card spot and the reason I see a lot of the negative talk is they, people just don't identify a real difference maker or the star players in Miami. You mentioned the good depth, but there really isn't that guy outside of Rashad Jones and Cam Wake that are front and center types of players. I think you could see if they find someone that elevates their game to that level or a couple of guys, I should say, you could definitely see them push beyond that even uh, beyond the nine or ten wins as well. So once again, he is Ian Wharton. He's from Bleacher Report. Something of a regular guest on the show now, Ian. We really appreciate you doing that for us. You can find his work on Bleacher Report's NFL 1000 as well as his Twitter account, at NFL Film Study. Again, thanks for chatting with me tonight, Ian. We'll talk to you again soon, man. Yes, my pleasure, Travis. It's always fun to get Ian on the podcast, talk some Dolphins football with another fan and a guy that works in the national media that doesn't really crap on the Dolphins as much as some other guys do. So nice to talk to him, and I really appreciate him doing that. Hopefully we'll get him on the podcast again before the season starts. But I also want to remind you guys, go and check out LockdownDolphins.com. Piece number two on the Ryan Tannehill charting project is up live right now, playing against the Patriots. A very impressive second half from him in that game. On point, accurate, big yardage, big passing totals, and all that stuff that goes into that. Almost a comeback win, not quite, with all the information up on LockdownDolphins.com. And of course, the big news of the day, 
The gambling restrictions have been loosened to the country and it'll be up to the states now, I suppose, which isn't great news for me because Washington still has a negative view on gambling, even though we're pretty much progressive in everything else that goes on. But the sports betters getting more and more traction towards having legalized gambling, which is great news for everybody involved with that, as long as you're not a habitual loser in that. But that's going to do it for today's podcast, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow the All Locked On Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at LethalNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Follow our flagship show at LockedOnNFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a terrific rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.